Today we are talking about innovation and we're going to focus on customer experience and what's the relation between innovation and providing the right type of experience for your customers. It's a very important topic. I'm Michael Krigsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk and you're watching episode number 297. Now before I introduce our guest, I want you to please, please, please tell your friends, tell your family, subscribe on YouTube. Tell them to watch and tell them to subscribe. We need those subscribers on YouTube. I'm just thrilled to introduce our guest today, who is Jeff Wong. And Jeff is the Global Chief Innovation Officer at one of the largest professional services organizations in the world, which is EY. Hey, Jeff, how are you? It's uh, great to see you here. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to be here with us. Uh, thank you for having me, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, Jeff, please tell us about EY and, and tell us about your role there. Oh, so EY is a large professional services organization. We have about 260,000 people around the world. We're in every major country, pretty much every major city. Uh, we have tax advisory services. We have transaction advisory. And of course, our assurance business, which is our largest business. We're $30, $33 billion or plus a little bit there in revenue. And uh, my job here as the chief innovation officer is to create new things for EY. So when you say create new things, uh, please elaborate on that for us. So really, it's about thinking about innovation. So for us... Uh, innovation is about what I call creating new. So that's new services that we want to be in. It's new ways of looking at old services. It's new ways of delivering the things we've done for many, many years. So it's all about creation of new. Now, why does a company like EY have to have a chief innovation officer? So, Michael, that's a very good question. You know, change is been a constant in business throughout history. Our, our history goes back over a hundred years and we've had to evolve through many different shifts and disruptions throughout that time. What's different now than what was happening before is really the pace of change. And I think it's been well-documented and written about quite a bit, but really the pace of change has gotten to a tempo where the systems and processes that large long-standing companies that have been successful navigating disruption in the past well, those systems and processes aren't built for today's pace. And so really, that's why I'm here. And that's why we created this new role a few years ago, because we need to make sure that we match that pace of change for ourselves. And frankly, to watch the world around us and match the, the, the pace of change in business around us. Jeff, how do you link uh, that notion of the responding to the, to the pace of change with accurately responding at the same time to what your clients or what the market is expecting and wants from you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's what makes it a lot harder today than it, than it used to be. I have a, a good friend who is, has been a CEO for the last 20 years of several large organizations. And he and I were chatting once and, and I don't wanna reveal him because it's his, his thought and I wanna let him have his own voice on this. But he said, you know, Jeff, it's, it's hard to rely on my last 20 years of experience to make decisions about where the company that he's leading now should, be, should head. He's like, right now, I just have to react to the environment in front of me. 
And I think this is why it's so important now for companies to really be focused on the theme of the show, customer experience. Really, it's linking together the fact that we have to create new things, but we have to do it in a way that really, really addresses how customers want to receive the new products and services we're delivering. And it's really that marriage that coming together that really makes sort of creating new things powerful. Now, that's an interesting question. The notion of customer service and the intersection with innovation. Well, you don't usually, most people I don't think uh, consider these two as being married tightly. So maybe you can share with us your thoughts on that. Yeah. So as, as <laughs> it's funny, Michael, so I grew up actually in the internet world. So I spent almost 10 years at eBay. I worked in venture capital. I worked in growth equity investing. So I didn't actually grow up in the professional services firm. And what you've seen, I saw out there in the internet world is you, you could look at a lot of websites and you could start to see their organizational chart in the website. You could see the where the category manager was and made that decision and the product manager made a different decision. You know, the engineer maybe took a shortcut or the business development group made a deal that the product people didn't like. It's all revealed out there on the web page. And what happens is as companies get bigger, things become more about the organization and sort of the internal negotiations of the organization rather than about the customer. And so really when we look at what it means to revitalize something or revitalize a company or look at something new, I think everybody has to return to that first principle, which is what does a customer want? How do you address their need? And how do you make them happy with you? And so when we look at innovation here, when we think about these new services we're delivering, when we think about how do we deliver the services we've been doing for 100 years, we're taking a fresh look and looking at our customers and saying, well, what are they really trying to address? What is the problem we're really solving for them? And how can we do it better? And I really think that's the core of innovation is looking at customer problems and saying, how can we do this better? And so that's what we're doing here. Why is this so hard? Now, uh, you know, I'm being facetious, but on the surface, on the surface, you say, okay, I want to do, I want to be more responsive to what the customer needs. And so let's go out, we'll have a beer, the customer will tell me what they want, and I'll just go do it. But it's not that easy. So why is customer experience so, so hard? You know, I think customer experience is hard because see, large successful organizations become wedded to their systems and processes and the way that they, they think things ought to be run. And then what they lose sight of sometimes is the fact that they're no longer thinking about the customer as much as they're thinking about their own systems and processes. And I think that, that breaking through that organizational chart, those systems and processes that exist, re-asking the question, well, why do they exist? Why do these hypotheses about what we should be doing and not doing exist? Being able to challenge them, that's really the marriage of where companies sometimes get stuck and needing to break through with thinking about it in a new way, which is where innovation comes, comes into play. You know, when we come into an organization, when I come into an organization, you know, I have the benefit of looking at something new, looking at it in a new way to ask the, look at directly at the customer and say, what does the customer want? So that's what my team is able to do. We're able to look at our existing businesses and simply ask the question, well, what would the customer want today if we built this service today? How would the customer want it delivered? What would we build? What tools would we build, use to build it? What technologies would we bring to bear? And that's really how we're thinking about the world in a, in a new way for us. 
Jeff, innovation is fundamentally about change. And is, is that what we're talking about then uh, with customer experience is changing how we operate, changing how we listen? Is it, is it all about change in, in a kind of very similar way that innovation is about change? Yeah, Michael, you're, you're right. You know, innovation is about change. And I think it's also about change along all dimensions of a company. You know, we're talking about customer experience, customer service. Um, obviously, I think when people think about innovation, they think a lot about technology and technology being sort of the only driver of change. And what I'll tell you that is this, we don't think about it that way at EY. We don't think about innovation as just about technology. Technology is clearly important. It's clearly something we focus on. It's clearly something we know about and we know how to apply. But really, it's about changing all aspects of the organization. So for us, for example, we think about how we, uh, we think about talent very differently than we did before. Um, when we go out and recruit now, we think about how can we be as good at recruiting STEM graduates as we are with the business school students? And we're excellent at the business school students. We want to be as good at recruiting STEM graduates. Why is that? Because we think we need a diverse sort of set of critical thinking skills, and we want to expand on the great skills we have here by bringing in sort of new mindsets and, and greater percentages. We also are rethinking how we train them. So uh, our learning and development organization, I'll, I'll tell you one example is that we have a leadership development program uh, now here at Stanford University, which is just across the street here, which is about the School of Engineering, the School of Design, and the School of Business versus the traditional corporate training programs, which tend to focus on the schools of businesses, business around the world. Because we think that's the new mindsets that we need to have. We're thinking about how we promote them differently, right? So it's not just technology, it's also talent. For us, it's also business models. So we're expanding on our business models. We historically have been an hourly rate times hours business, right? Very traditional, it's lasted for 100 years. It's worked extraordinarily well. Um, it will continue to work extraordinarily well. But we want to add on different ways that we can create value for our customers and that our customers can pay for it, and frankly, the ways they want to pay for it. So we're thinking about our business from multiple perspectives. So we talk about change. It's not just technology, not just thinking about the customer experience. It's also talent, business model, how we govern ourselves, the pace of which we make decisions. It's sort of all aspects of the firm. Now, going back, Jeff, to customer experience, if we want to apply this kind of uh, innovation thinking to customer experience, do you have a, a framework or, or a way that we can approach thinking about this? You know, Michael, there's a lot of writing out there about you know, how to think about customers and how do you talk to them, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I, I, I honestly think it boils down to? It boils down to having smart people go out and really listening to customers, being willing to talk to them face-to-face, -to, -face, to meet with them in their environment, to look at how they interact with whatever product that you know, you're competing against or that you want a service you want to enter, and asking smart and good questions about it. You know, there's, there's lots of different ways people talk about different polls, and I've seen lots of polling and different customer segmentation and all the different studies around the world, and they're all valuable. But I think nothing really uh, can, can beat 
sort of looking at customer eye in the eye, asking them good questions, watching them do their work, watching them do what they do. Because sometimes the customer can't articulate what they really want or what would be really helpful. And I think that that's really, that's why it's so important to just see the customer in their environment. Um, and there's lots of different ways to do that, uh, but but I, I think nothing is nothing is better than that. And I, my teams practice this uh, religiously, right? The first time, whenever we think about entering a new service or a new business, uh, the first question I always ask is, well, go talk to five customers. And they come back and sort of we talk about the conclusions, talk about what the problem might be. And they said, okay, let's go talk to 10 or 50 or 100 more, right? That's the first three or four steps for us. So really, you know, we, we don't use any specific framework. We know all the frameworks. We use different ones as they different, apply differently. But the soulfulness boils down to that, being willing to look a customer eye, and, eye to eye and, you know, asking good questions. Jeff, we have an interesting question from Twitter. Arsalan Khan asks, what does innovation mean in the context of professional services? And because we're talking about customer experience, I will ask you to address that, but also weave in innovation in professional services, uh, weave customer experience in as part of that. So uh, within professional services, uh, like I said at the top of the top of the cast webcast here, um, it's about all aspects of creating new. So for us, we need to be in new services. You know what's really interesting that I, I didn't know this before I came here is, you know, our world is constantly evolving. The rules that govern sort of how companies operate are constantly evolving. The latest and greatest thinking around supply chain management or pricing or how we audit or what we need to be auditing or what's being taxed, it's constantly changing. So for us, we need to be constantly thinking about what's new, what's coming up next, what's, where's the legislation going, how do we address it in the best and most meaningful way. But we also look at our existing services and ask, you know, how can we do it better? So for us, uh, one thing that we're doing that's really interesting is uh, in our audit business, actually. So our audit business has been around for over 100 years. Uh, most people around the world look at them like, boy, audit, that's sort of very traditional, done in a very traditional way of business. And, you know, in, in many respects, there are a lot of things we do very consistently because it's the ethics and professionalism of, of, of our team here. But what we also realized is how do we help our customer understand, our clients understand what we're doing better and understanding the process of the pathway better and connect to us in a more meaningful way? So we actually launched a client portal within our audit practice. So as we go about the audit, it doesn't just become hey, we're doing the audit, give us a bunch of information, we're going to walk away, do a bunch of processing, come back to you with the answer, and then you, you know, we'll sign the document, you sign the document. What we've done is we've created a client portal where the CFO and the finance team can watch the process along the way. We can communicate back and forth in real time. They can see where we are in different processes. We can ask the relevant, important questions. It's a much more seamless experience. So look at that. We took a very traditional business, 100 plus year business, um, done very similarly for many years. Um, and we said, how can we do better for the client? How we could do better for the customer? And I have to tell you, the customers that are using it, it's early, early days in, in this launch. Um, they love it. They love that ability to use technology to have a much better connectivity to their teams. And frankly, it helps us deliver a better answer for them at the end of the day. 
And again, if you think about the, the kind of uh, challenges that are involved, this is a very end-to-end -end process that involves listening to the customer uh, going cross-functional, it sounds like, inside the organization. This would be true whether it's EY or any other organization, or whether it's professional services or not, uh, sharing information. So there's a lot of changes that are required. So where do the obstacle points or the choke points with this kind of in innovation tend to arise? Well, you know, the, the challenge with any large and successful organization is that they're large and successful. And that the systems and processes and methods that have been in place for years have been working extraordinarily well. And that's why the company is successful. And, you know, I've had the benefit of, in, in my role, going around the world, talking to C-suites and boards around the world. And I think the consistent refrain I use with them, and I think is really resonating, is that these systems and processes that have made you so successful over the last 10 years probably aren't going to work for the next five. And you know what you said about sort of what are the roadblocks and choke points? That's really hard. It's really easy to agree with. It's really hard to implement because people within the organization have been really successful and they're really, really good at their jobs and they really are experts in what they do. But it's hard for anybody to go through change. Right? It's hard for anybody to have something different. You know, Michael, it's funny, I, I have this uh, a phrase I like to use internally, which is, um, you know, when I wake up in the morning, half the company hates me, half the company loves me. And when I wake up, I don't know which half is which. It's different every day. Because everybody likes it when you come in and you say, we need to change. So everybody agrees with that. And when you go and ask them, it's like, yeah, that group over there needs to change. That group over there. And they say, oh, yeah, that group over there needs to change. But so do you. And that's when everyone goes, no, no, not me, not me. Somebody else <laughs> needs to change. Um, what I've really appreciated about my time at EY, which, you know, coming from the internet, I was very uh, happily surprised by, is the willingness of everybody to not just engage in this conversation about how we need to be different, but also to start to take action around it. You know, it doesn't mean it's easy. And it doesn't mean that there's not the stickiness to the way we've done things before. And frankly, sometimes that stickiness is a good thing. It's protecting sort of what we've been able to build and create. But the willingness of our organization to think in new ways, to run experiments, to now take risks around things that maybe work and maybe won't work. But if it works, it's a big impact to the firm. Right? That's been a really, really remarkable, eye-opening thing for me. You know, One wouldn't think a 100-plus-year-old company that's been this successful would have this much ability and flexibility to think about change and really start implementing it. You know, I, I know somebody who was, and the key, the key word here is was, head of innovation at a major retailer, major brand that owns brands that, that we all know. And there was a tension between her role as innovator and the company's desire to basically drive profit through, uh, drive revenue through, um, through e-commerce. And this became a real issue, and thus, the, thus the, the operative word was, became a real issue because her, she felt her role was to drive investment in 
future opportunities. But despite the company saying, well, we innovate, we want to innovate, what they really wanted was to figure out ways of optimizing and being more efficient with retail e-commerce. How, how can a company bridge this gap between the present and the future, as you were just describing? So there's a lot of sort of rules of thumb about how you should think about investing out there. I think the most popular is the 70-20-10 rule, right? You should be 70% investment in your core, 20% in your adjacent, and 10% in your disruptive. And really holding yourself to that discipline, as close as you can get to that discipline as possible. And that really allows you to think about your portfolios of effort differently. So e-commerce and the efficiency in your example, sounds like it probably should have been in that 20%. You know, figuring out an adjacent business to the core business and making it more efficient. But the leadership should have really reserved that 10% for something new, what your friend was trying to work on. And so that actually makes me reflect on something that I think is critically important about innovation. And that's about sort of who really leads innovation at an or within an organization. So for me, the CEO, our CEO and chairman, you know, the head of uh, uh, our client managing partner, so Mark uh, Weinberger and Carmine DeCibio, um, are incredible sponsors, advocates, leaders of innovation. And they really brought me in to help sort of implement their soulful passion around the fact that we need to evolve. And so for me, that's really where it starts. You know, you have to have a CEO, a leadership team with the courage to think about the world in a different way, to, to realize that there'll be some people who like the messages they're delivering and some people are saying, no, things are going great now. Let's not, let's not you know, rock the boat here. You know, just, just keep it going for a little while longer. And they really had the vision and the foresight and again, the courage to say, hey, you know what? We're doing great. And in fact, we're probably at you know, a lot of our all-time highs and across a lot of different metrics. We're, we've got an incredible momentum. So what was really wonderful for me when I joined the firm is to watch a team, a leadership team, and it really does extend beyond them to the leadership team, say, wow, we have this incredible momentum. We're hitting on all cylinders right now. You know what? We need to be thinking about the future as much as we're thinking about delivering excellence in the present. And in the present. And I think that that's really where it all starts, you know, is, is so for your friend and for people out there who are looking for organizations, which are transforming and want to transform, I really would look at the leadership team. Are they bought in? Do they have the, the courage and the ability to really back the idea that we need to balance thinking about the present and the future? We're fortunate to have it here. And when you look around the world, when I look around the world, and when I look at different companies that are innovating around the world and doing new things in their industries, redefining themselves, frankly, redefining their industries, that's the commonality that I see is it tends to be the CEO, it starts there, but a leadership team really that's bought into the idea that they want to define, they want to take advantage of the opportunity to define their industry. Because that's really what this disruption affords us. It's, you know, a lot of people think about it as challenge and they think about it as sort of, you, you hear the world telling you that this is something that's negative, something that's hard. We need to fend off disruption. We need to defend ourselves against change. 
We don't look at it that way here. Leading companies around the world that I've talked to don't look at it that way there. They want to take advantage of it. They want to take advantage of this opportunity to redefine themselves in the eyes of their customer, to become something bigger, greater, more meaningful, more impactful, to change their part of the world. So, you know, long answer versus your friend's challenge, but I think it all starts with, you know, the leadership at the company. You know, it's a very good point. I think in that particular case, the company wanted to innovate, but the short-term demand of generating as much revenue as possible, or let me put it another way, uh, senior managers were compensated on the basis of, the, of short-term revenue, and that therefore outstripped any sort of abstract goal for innovation. You know, Michael, I've seen this too much, I think, around the world, and it's actually something I'm I'm fairly concerned about for large, long-standing, successful companies. You know, the pressure on these leadership teams to, you know, what I like to say, squeeze another penny out of their, you know, in their into their margins, to squeeze one more penny. The the shareholders who just demand that from that short-term nature of it, you know, it, it's too often that that pressure prevents this long-term investment. So it's sort of a, a penny-wise pound foolish, right? You might squeeze another penny out of earnings or two pennies out of earnings, but you're not making the investments that'll get you a transformative new industry-defining company where the gains are um, extraordinary and astronomical if you're looking at it from a purely shareholder perspective. But you need to give your leadership teams the ability and the space that to... to to uh, enable their courage to do something differently, to think about sort of the long term while they're thinking about delivering in the short term. You know, here, um, and this goes broader than innovation and uh, customer experience, but here we're really thinking about uh, what we call inclusive capitalism, or I think what the world's calling inclusive capitalism. But a lot of this is around how do you measure companies in different ways? So we we do a lot of measurement. We're in you know we're we're auditors and we're very very good at it. Um, or we have a large large audit practice. We're very very good at it. Uh, and we revenue we we measure revenues and margins and you know all the other numbers that financial metrics that yeah you know, out that that you, you know one ought to measure. Um, but we are we are challenging ourselves by asking this question: Is that everything we should be measuring? You know, does that truly reflect what a company is and does? Does it? Um, does it reflect their impact on their employees? Are they training them? Are they leaving great skill? You know, are the employees that are developing skills and sort of leaving, are they leaving behind great skill, greatly skilled employees that are improving the communities they exist in and the world around them? What's their impact on the environment? How are they balancing the short-term versus long-term investment? Are they really thinking about competition and strategy and the pace of change in the right way that really reflects the opportunities and challenges to their business. And how do we measure that? I mean, that's a really hard question. Frankly, uh, fortunately, we have a really, really incredible team working, our large team working on it and try to think about that question because that's what it really means. I think there, that for us to innovate, for companies out there to innovate, they really need everyone to understand that it's really a balance between short and long term. It's really about not just your impact on revenues and margins. It's about your impact on your employees, your community, the environment. And that adds up to a company, a whole, that is far greater than simple metrics that we use today or another penny of earnings next quarter can really tell us. And what I'm happy to say is that we see a lot of the 
financial leaders around the world starting to pick up this sort of theme and theory, and, and we're trying to do our part to help lead this effort. I want to remind everybody that we are speaking with Jeff Wong, who is the Global Chief Innovation Officer at EY, which is a professional services firm with 260,000 employees. They're a really big company. And, and right now, there is a tweet chat taking place using the hashtag CXOTalk. And so please jump in and ask your questions. Now, we have a couple of questions from Twitter, and actually a really interesting one from Gus Beckdash, who asks, do you have to convince your clients of the benefits of innovation? How do you get your clients to get on board with this? That's what he's asking. Yeah, so clients and, and, and being really focused on clients is, I think, the theme of what we're talking about. And you're right, sometimes they're not ready for parts of our journey. Um, but what I'll, and, and so what we, what we definitely try to do is to be very straightforward, very honest, very open about everything we're, we're doing. When we do something with technology that's new, we show them everything about it. Uh, in fact, oftentimes we you know, bring in our technical, they, they get down in the details. We bring in our engineers and technology experts to come in and describe exactly what's going on and how it's going on. And in particular, in this day and age of um, sensitivity around data, and privacy, maybe appropriate sensitivity on data and privacy. We are extraordinarily careful about it, and we're extraordinarily careful to talk about how we're extraordinarily careful about it. So I think really open and honest communication with our clients is important. You know, there are some clients that 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 pause and say, "Boy, well, you know, I really sort of, you know, things are going well. You know, maybe we should think about continuing how we're doing it today." What's been really interesting is. When people think about innovation, they tend to think about, oh, the technology industry, the internet, you know, those, those folks are just really innovating, or the financial services industry, they're really innovating. What we are finding is companies around the world of every size in every sector eager to participate in the change, wanting it. And, and, and frankly, from my perspective, and I think from the perspective of our client service, demanding it from us. And that's really what's unique and different in the messaging than we've seen sort of in the, some of the popular press, Michael. I think a lot of the popular press likes to talk about the fear aspects of this. You know, how is it impacting jobs and the numbers of jobs and where are they going and the need, you know, all these things. And what, what we notice, the, the way we approach technology here is um, we use technology to make our people superheroes. And that technology is really about people, right? It's really about giving our people, you know, Wonder Woman's lasso or Batman's utility belt. Who doesn't want that? And what we're finding inside of our groups is that they don't just want it, they love it. And they don't just love it. If we didn't do it, they would demand it from us. They're smart, passionate, motivated people. They want to do and be as powerful and as useful and as strong with their clients as they can possibly be. And so, while you know, sometimes it takes some convincing the clients, and I think that the convincing usually is around being very clear about how much we've thought about security, privacy, data protection, um, how carefully we're treating the process, how we're really, really thoughtful about how this impacts our uh, regulatory requirements alongside you know, thinking about new things. We're, we're melding those two together. Um, I think for the most part, our clients have 
asked for this from us, demand it from us. And the, the leading companies around the world really are, um, well, they're picking us because we're doing it. And that's been a really great and fun thing to see. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so we have another question from Twitter on the subject of every company facing disruptive potential disruptive innovations from outside. In professional services, where do you see the disruptive innovations, potential disruptive innovations? Oh, so um, yeah, so uh, clearly we have, we're part of what I think people have uh, colloquially named the big four. So we're, we're part of that. And clearly there's other, the other three of the big four who are also thinking about their investments and thinking about how they do things differently. So we, we watch them and, and we think about what they're doing. Um, but because I come from the technology world and the internet world, I actually look outside quite a bit. So when I think about who else might be doing things, I look at the large software vendors out there who oftentimes we're partnered with. And I ask the question, you know, what are they doing that they could do differently that might impact our business? And you know, it's been fun is more often than not, we get into a conversation and we say, hey, wait, you know what? Let's bring our two strengths together. Let's work together and figure this out to answer our clients' questions in more meaningful and beneficial ways to them. Um, I look at large technology companies in general who are doing investments in things like artificial intelligence and blockchain. I own the global labs in artificial intelligence and blockchain here at EY. We're doing really, really interesting things with regards to those technologies and the enterprise. But we also have to look at what are other people doing in, al along these lines, particularly the large R&D labs um, you know, from the larger companies. Are, what are they putting out? How are they evolving? How are they thinking differently? We spend a lot of time with startups too because uh, A, I love them and it's fun and it's great to support them and what they're trying to do. They're trying to change the world and we want to support them as much as we possibly can. And frankly, they have a lot of good ideas and think about the world differently. So it's sort of expand, mind expanding to think about the world from their perspective. And they, they just bring such insight in, in, in terms of how they think about not just the technology they're bringing to bear, but the business models that they're bringing to bear. And then finally, we, we, we well, not finally, there's two groups we also talk to. We're, we're embedded in academia. Uh, for example, I'm involved with, the, I'm a, on the advisory board of the Oxford Foundry, which is out bringing all the students of Oxford University out in the UK into sort of this uh, uh, entrepreneurship world. Um, and it's important for us to have conversations there with the students and what ideas are they coming up with? You know, how are they thinking about the world differently? Um, and then of course, government and regulators. I actually, you know, what's, what might be fascinating for people to hear about is that um, I had the, the good benefit of sitting in front of a, a group of global regulators um, at their global regulatory meeting. I was invited in by the chairman of that group and uh, to talk about technology, to talk about change, uh, to talk about how things might be different or are different even today. And what, what's really, really interesting is how open the regulators are to that conversation, how open governments are to that conversation. Talking not just regulators, but government officials around the world, right? So we really look at it I think the best way to talk about it is we really look at it as an ecosystem. We have a, an innovation ecosystem around us. And it's important for us to talk to all different parties of this ecosystem to understand where they're coming from. And, and I know the question was phrased is, 
you know, where's the new competition coming from? Where's the threat coming from? You know, and, 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 and that's clearly something we pay attention to sort of that, that, um, that perspective. But I think more importantly is we look at it as how can we come together as an ecosystem and create the win-win-win situations where we're bringing together ourselves with members of the ecosystem to address and answer harder and better questions. And, and I think that's really something that's, that sort of speaks to, to sort of a theme for us, which is we look at this as opportunity, not risk, not competition, not something to be defended against. And when you start looking at things as opportunity, well, you start really looking at places you can do things together with other people. And that's really how we're looking. You know, that's the primary, the, you know, one first, second and third thoughts in our minds are really around, wow, there's a way to work together to do something different. And so that's, that's really how we look at it and focused on. But as you can see, we talk and think about the entire ecosystem. So the ecosystem dimension of innovation seems crucially important to you. Oh, absolutely. Um, we started with talking about how fast the world's moving and it's moving ever faster. You know, it used to be, you know, back in the day, I was called 1980s or 70s when, you know, you could do the nice chart of who your competitors were, right? You could look at it and say, this is the world that exists around me. And you kind of could fit it onto a PowerPoint page. The world's moving so quickly and it's so dynamic. You know, I don't know how any single individual just keeps it in their head. You know, I don't know how any single individual sort of can just know and understand the landscape in their head. I mean, we all certainly try to. But the fact is it's moving so quickly and it's so dynamic and it's changing so rapidly that you really, it's hard to do that. And it's hard to see and understand all the opportunities coming from you because the world isn't that, you know, two by two matrix that you can draw and say, this is how we stand in versus the, you know, our industry. So we have to have the ecosystem and we use the ecosystem, like I said, to work together with them, but also as listening posts. You know, I spend a lot of time um, with students out there. Uh, at Oxford, at Tsinghua University, in the Schwartzman Scholar Program out in China. Uh, we have teams of people who spent time with students at MIT. Um, we have a, 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 you know, Air for All, which is this phenomenal nonprofit sort of encouraging diversity and ethical AI and interacting with students. We interact with those students. Why? Because we want to know what they're thinking about. You know, what are you thinking about? How, you th how do you see the world changing? What are you going to be working on? And I have to tell you, they're some of the best people in the world. These students, um, college students, uh, sometimes even, you know, you know, the later stages of high school students who are working on these amazing things, they're really telling us where the world is going. So without interacting with this ecosystem in a very meaningful way, I don't know how anybody understands, sort of even has a, a complete mental model in their head about where the world's going. So for us, the ecosystem is a, a heavy investment of our time and effort uh, because we really want to be a part of that community. And the second part I'd say, Michael, is that we don't just want to be a part of that community to take things from it. We don't just do this because, you know, hey, we want to take the best ideas and run with them ourselves. We want to be part of this community because we want to participate in it, because it's the right thing to do, because it's part of our mission and our effort. You know, we say we want to build a better working world. That's our tagline. That's our motto. That's our credo. Um, you know, what's been fun for me is I've, I've been with companies before that have had similar you know, mottos and credos. How much we authentically live it, 
how we invest in it, how we focus on it, how we care about it is really different. So that's why we're part of this community and part of contributing to this community is because we want to build a better a better working world. And the only way to do that is to contribute to the ecosystem. Jeff, we're, we're at the point in the show where I have about you know 20 things remaining that I want to ask you, and we have maybe five minutes left. <laughs> and so let me ask you some, some questions, and I'll ask you to keep your answers really, really short. Great. Okay. So to begin with, are there common characteristics of companies that do innovation well? And again, just keep it really short because we're almost out of time. Uh, CEOs, leadership teams with courage and a board that backs them. Okay, fair enough. Uh, are there industries that as a whole you see doing innovation well? So everybody knows about things that are happening in the technology industry, the internet industry. Uh, financial services is always a leading sort of industry in terms of new things. What people will be surprised by is there are innovative companies in every sector, in every region, in sort of places that you wouldn't guess, manufacturing, healthcare services, things that people go, really? That, you know, that's where it's, you know, they're, they're really innovative. There are great companies around the world doing new things. And it actually correlates with your first question. It's CEOs, leadership teams, and a board that backs them. Okay. Uh, then we have another question from Twitter. I'll ask you, again, just, just uh, really quick. As you look over your clients, are there areas with respect to innovation and customer experience that are kind of common concerns, common things they're most concerned with? Yeah, the common thing is um, that they have started to think too much about their organization. The organization thinks too much about itself and not enough about the customer. So it tries to be one step removed from the customer, doesn't, you know, isn't willing to engage directly. And we, I talked at length before about it, so I won't emphasize it, but you know, looking a customer in the eye, being one-on-one -on -one with them and seeing what they actually do, that's critically important. I think a lot of larger companies, uh, a lot of successful companies who need to change um, have sort of lost that feel. Okay. And in the spirit of just asking you complex questions and needing really fast answers, what are the characteristics of a really successful organizational innovation change agent? Uh, do you mean a person, Michael? A uh, person, yes. Well, hopefully they have creativity and good ideas, but I think also is a willingness to be wrong and a willingness to try things and to take risks, a willingness to wake up in the morning and have half the organization hate you and half the organization love you and not know which half is which, but know you're doing the right thing for the company overall. Okay, and... Are there, you touched on this a little bit, but, but again, like very quickly, are there metrics that companies can use to evaluate their innovation efforts? Yep. So we do uh, pretty much every metric out there that's sort of the normal metric, which is, you know, 70, 20, 10 in terms of investment, you know, what percentage of our revenue comes from things that didn't exist in the previous, you know, insert timeframe, uh, insert the correct timeframe. Uh, we measure all of our projects individually across a number of different metrics. I think those are the common ones. Um, but what I actually really like to look at, and it's not a metric, but is the, some of the qualitative is, you know, here at EY, the conversation has changed around innovation. We are talking about ourselves and the world differently. And you can feel that, you know, in the hallways. 
and in the conversations that you have, and it, it's it's a not a metric, but it's it's a feel, and it's just it's really wonderful to uh, to to sense when you when it happens. Okay, and then as we finish up, I have two last questions. These are like really hard questions, and you're doing an amazing job summarizing in like no time at all. Uh, what advice do you have for people working inside large companies who want to change, who want to innovate, and they're just thwarted at every turn? It can't do it. Yeah, you know, innovation, uh, everybody likes innovation when it's the at the idea phase and when they launch their thing. And they think that's the day that's victory. That's the victory. Um, you have to love the grind. You have to love the day to day. Change doesn't happen overnight. So you, the, the fight, the, 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 the working through hard issues, that's, that's what it is. That's the job. And you got to love it. And I guess I, I, it's easy for me because I, I love it. I love that day to day. So you're not suggesting, at what point do they just say it's not going to work and they should quit? Well, I, you know, I think that most organizations that have, I, I've interacted with, there's most, uh, most of the leading organizations around the world, I think, you know, uh, you know the, the gumption, the courage, the, the grit, the man, that mentality will be rewarded over time. So at, at, I guess if you're not working at a company you see as a, a leading company, a, a company that, you know, has some desire to change, go find something that fits your passion and fits what you want to do. And it has a team there that, you know, willing to just give it a shot. Okay. And last question, what advice do you have for senior managers and executives who are behind innovation, they're investing, they're pushing it, and middle management does not want to change. And as a senior executive, they just can't get the organization to do things differently. It's just not happening. So this is actually a complex question. I'll try to do it very quickly. As a senior leader at the company, it's your job to lead from the front, but it's also your job to put people in place who think expansively about who you are, what you can be, and who you wanna be in the future. And so as a senior leader, I would say over time, and this is like loving the grind again, you've got to love the grind, you've got to love the push, and you've got to put people in the organization, right? raise up people in the organization who are thinking differently, who are thinking expansively. It, it takes time. It, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes put, putting people in, into place that aren't perhaps the traditional profiles or backgrounds from, um, that you've selected before. And that takes courage. So I think that it's, it's all of those things. It's courage. It's patience. It's loving the grind. It's knowing that you're doing the right thing for the company, for the long-term future of the company. Um, and I think it all pays off in the end. And, and then I have to ask you one last, last final question. Uh, for, for senior managers of public companies who want to do this, and yet at the same time, they have quarterly results that they have to meet, and there is no flexibility in that. I've had a lot of private conversations with CEOs in, in different areas around the globe about this very challenge. You know, I think that it's important for them to start this conversation with their board and to have these individual conversations and, and to take the time it takes to start convincing them, you know, step by step. I've seen too many companies sort of uh, uh, adhere to the siren swan, swan uh, song of the penny of earnings and I'm a hero. And too many CEOs who look at that and have been able to execute on it and know know that they're trading off the long-term for this very uh, a big long-term gain for a minor short-term win. 
they know it. They know what to do. They know what they do differently. And they need the courage to go and ha- start having those very different conversations with their board and their leadership team and sort of build the momentum around it. Okay, great answers. Woo, we are out of time. Uh, what a fast conversation it's been too. We have been speaking with Jeff Wong, who is the Global Chief Innovation Officer at EY. Jeff, thank you so much for being here. And I hope you'll come back and do this again another time. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Everybody, you've been watching episode number 297 of CXO Talk. Tell your friends. And right now is a good time to subscribe on YouTube. Have a great day, everybody. And we have amazing shows coming up. So check out CXOTalk.com. Bye-bye.